Good morning. Happy May, whatever it is, May, May 6th. I lose track of days after a while. My wife will tell you, I don't know sometimes if I'm coming or going. I think right now I'm coming, coming to this, coming to the sermon. Okay. All right, it's been a couple weeks, but we're going to continue in our study of the book of Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatian churches. Uh, there's an insert in your bulletin to follow along if you like. And uh, if you didn't get an insert, our ushers would be happy to give you one right now if you just lift your hand. Or if you want to borrow a Bible, feel free to, uh, they'll be able to help you with that as well. <clears throat> As we pick up our study again here in Paul's letter to the Galatians, we see that really Paul is right in the middle of a huge controversy that was brewing in the early church over the difference between obeying God's law to be approved by God and believing the gospel to be justified through Christ. The law tells us what we ought to do. The gospel tells us what God has done. The law shows us our sins that need to be forgiven. The gospel shows us how God forgives them. The content of the law really involves our commands to obey. The content of the gospel is news to believe. The problem Paul addresses in his letter to the Galatian believers came because of Jewish teachers, they were actually, many believe, were Christians who come to faith in Christ, but who also were promoting, we need, to, we need to continue in Judaism in order to really be accepted by God. After all, God gave us all this law, we, we need to continue to follow it. So they were teaching new believers, new Gentile believers in Jesus, that they needed to go back, make sure they're <clears throat> conforming to the Old Testament law to really be justified before God. Their teaching went like this. Believe in Jesus, follow the Mosaic law, and the result is your salvation. Paul, on the other hand, and the gospel that they were defending vehemently was basically, if you believe in Jesus, that he's the Messiah, the result is you are saved, and then, out of gratitude, obey God's word. So I said this before, the difference in the gospel... <clears throat> between how a person is saved, uh, this difference, this, this uh, um, conflict uh, persists to this day. The Judaizers' teaching continues to infiltrate the church. And I, I think I, I, I believe why, because my own experience really, uh, it's, it's very hard for us to accept that God saves us by grace through faith and not by trying to prove ourselves. It's hard for us. We, we want to think we, we've done well. We deserve. No, that's not the gospel. Paul's letter to the Galatians is a strong refutation of that idea. Of course we should obey God's word. The difference, the reason we obey. Paul passionately argues that part of his argument here in this letter is that when we start moving away from faith in Christ for God's acceptance of us by striving in our own works, we're in spiritual slavery. We're just returning 
to bondage. I'll just break in at Galatians 4, 7 to 9 as a way of reminder. Uh, Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. However, at that time when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. But now that you've come to know God, or rather be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental principles to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? So here we are in chapter 4. Here's one last attempt we're going to look at today. As he writes, to convince the Galatians to rely on Christ alone to be accepted before God, and not on their own law-keeping self-righteousness. He presents what I call his final, final argument, final presentation, I call the Galatian Consolation. The gospel is illustrated in the law itself. I'm going to read the passage, and then we'll talk about it. Um, Galatians chapter 4, beginning verse 21. Follow along. Tell me, you who want to be under law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman, one by the free woman. But the son of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son by the free woman through the promise. This is allegorically speaking, for these women are two covenants. One proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves, she's Hagar. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear. Break it forth and shout, You who are not in labor... For more numerous are the children of the desolate than the one who has a husband. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. But as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so it is now also. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman or of slavery, but of the free woman. All right, I'm going to try to, this is a a lot packed in here. I'm going to try to make this real simple. First of all, if you're reading commentaries on this passage, many commentaries separate verses 12 through 20 from verses 19 to 20. But it shouldn't do that. This is one continuous thought here. So let me back up and read you how, it, how he gets into talking about them. Uh, Galatians 4.19, My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed you, I wish I could be present with you now to change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. 21, tell me. Now, what's happening here is it's important to get the tone of this. He's... He's, talk, he's appealing to them as a pastor, as a friend, as a brother in Christ. And you know how he's going to counsel them? With the scripture. With the scripture. Man was riding a metro train and a, and a bee started flying around his head. 
And the man sitting next to the window was unnerved at this bee flying around. So the guy next to the window picked up the, paper book, the paperback book he'd been reading and started making attempts to swat the bee. Finally, the paper book, paperback book hit its mark and dispatched the bee into eternity. The man sitting next to him said, I'm really glad you got it. He smiled, showed him the book he had used to kill the bee titled Random Acts of Kindness. Now that's ironic. And so is verse 21. That's ironic. You who want to be under the law haven't been listening to the law. Paul uses, he pulls an Old Testament story right out of Genesis as an illustration. Keep it, this is an illustration, and he calls it such. Between how the gospel is pictured for us in the Old Testament and the distinction between uh, works and grace, faith and trying to work out our own righteousness before God. And he's, his point is, God's acceptance of us is, has always been on the basis of faith in his promise. It's always based on his power to save us and not our own efforts. Always. Let's look at it. The gospel illustration here. What Paul is doing in this passage, illustrating from the Old, Old, Old Testament, is the difference between salvation by faith and salvation by works. What he does is he goes right back to Abraham, whom he used before back in chapter 3, 7. Start there. This time, Paul shows us how Abraham, listen to me, tried to achieve the promise of God through his own works instead of by faith, which ended in disaster and slavery. Here's what Paul observes. You know, Abraham had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. One is the son of slavery, the other the son of freedom. Abraham was the father of both sons, but the two sons had two different mothers. Hagar, a slave, gave birth in the usual way, and he calls it in the flesh. Children are made. Sarah, however, gave birth in a supernatural way, unexplained by human effort, really. A miracle. The two mothers and two sons represent two different ways of salvation and two different ways of relating to God. It's a perfect illustration, really. Hagar and Ishmael represent receiving God's promise by working it out myself. I'll take care of it. <laughs> I can do this. Sarah and Isaac, however, represent receiving God's promise miraculously by faith. Believing the promise God had given. Now Paul goes further to say that these two sons actually represent two different covenants made with God. God. The old covenant was made with Moses at Mount Sinai. He mentions that. Keep God's law. Here's the covenant. Keep God's law and I'll bless you. That's the old covenant. But he mentions the new covenant in Jerusalem. 
made it by Jesus' blood. Believe in Jesus and you will be blessed. He's got a whole lot going on here. This contrast between slavery and freedom, between working out in the flesh and believing the promise. It's the gospel contrasted with a works, self-righteousness-based faith. Following verse 21, what Paul does is, uh, he said, let's talk about what's in the law, basically. And he, said, he quotes, starts quoting the law to make his applications. First, he quotes Isaiah 54, 1. Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear. Break forth and shout, you are not in labor. For more numerous are the children of the desolate than the one who has a husband. Application, verse 28. And you, brethren, like Isaac, have been birthed on the basis of promise from a barren woman. Then he quotes Genesis 21.10. Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. Application, verse 31. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free woman. What Paul's saying is basically the law illustrates and corroborates the truth of the gospel. We're saved by faith in Christ, not through keeping the law in our own efforts. And basically, his conclusion is if those who try to inherit the promise of God by their own works will end up in spiritual slavery. But the Old Testament's corroboration of the gospel leads to the New Testament consolation of the gospel. Paul cuts to the heart of those who rely on being under God's law to be accepted and justified, proved so God will bless them, instead of relying on Christ. And basically he's suggesting through this story, he highlights the motivation for why we would rather trust in the works of the flesh than the promise of God. I find this very fascinating. I mean, I, it really, <clears throat> it cuts to the, the heart of hearts of our inner, inner person. Because I think this is a universal problem. This really is, I've come to realize. Here's, <clears throat> from his example, I think, what we see is what motivates us to work out our approval of God by doing things on our own to be justified or approved by him, instead of believing the promises that God has given us is this, our shame. Shame will drive us back to the law. <laughs> it's the flesh, just like Sarah. She had the promise. She waited 25 plus years. She's beyond having children. How are we going to do this? You realize, see, put, put the cultural context into this scene. For Sarah in the ancient culture of the time to be childless was cause for great shame in, the, in this ancient culture. I'm not good enough. Something's wrong with me. 
I'm not acceptable. Shame. Somewhere along the line, Sarah gave up faith in God's promise, decided to get rid of her shame by working it out herself. She relied on her own efforts. I got a plan. I'm going to reach that fulfillment in life and the approval of others. I'm just going to do it my way. What she did, you see, in giving Hagar, the maidservant, to Abram was not illegal in this ancient culture. It was culturally acceptable to have the surrogate substitute. Here's the connection to Galatians and to us. I believe there's a certain sense in which we all feel shame. <laughs> if, if you... If you have any inkling of a desire to know God or to be related to God, we know deep down we don't measure up. All of us carry around some guilt or another from the past or present. We know we're not perfect. Shame. We don't want to feel this. I can't imagine Sarah going some 25 years in literally hopeless situation, having to deal with the remarks and the this and the that. And here's the, the issue is instead of relying on God's promise, here's what He said about you, about me about your world. Here's what he said. Now, instead of believing that, to make me feel better, I'm going to do something in the flesh. That's the problem. We're going to work it out. This will make me feel better. God's promise, you see, this is the flesh talking to it, isn't enough. It's not enough. Jesus isn't enough. We must do something. And despite God's promise, we, we must add something ourselves to make us feel better about ourselves. The things, the, the, all kinds of things. Success, achievement, illicit pleasure, wealth, power. Substitute gospels, you see, in our own culture. It's all over the place. Substitute gospel. Do this, work this out, you'll feel so much better. There are a myriad of self-justifying behaviors which Paul would say, in essence, are all slavery to a performance, works-based justification. Don't try to justify yourself. Admit you need justification in Christ. The truth of the gospel offers consolation. It frees us from our shame. We don't have to justify ourselves. There's someone who already did. If you believe the gospel. 
While Sarah's way reflected the works of the flesh and not faith, Paul pictures this contrast really in terms of results and consequences of faith and works. Freedom and slavery, really. That's, what, that's the contrast he sets up for us. The result of relying on our own righteousness, our own works, in any, in any case of trying to be, gain God's blessing or approval, is to enter slavery. The result of relying on God's promise, apart from our works, but totally focused, here's what you said, God, I believe it, I'm going to trust that. That's freedom. So if you look at Galatians 5.1, see, uh, chapter 4.31, here's how the chapter ends. So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman. We're not children of slaveries, slaves. Mm-mm. We're children of the free woman, spiritual descendants of Isaac, the miracle birth. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. And it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. That's Paul's main point in this entire letter. Chapter 1, 2, 3, 4. All leading to this juncture. There, that's it. Do you get the gospel? Do you get it? Do you understand it? Do you understand how it has to affect our life every single day? Unless we're drawn back into thinking like a slave. Well, that's what we're going we're gonna to launch into. This is, a, to me, um, this is where we've been headed in this book. Chapter 5 and 6. Chapter 1 to 4, all prologue, all prelude. You know what chapter 5 and 6 is? How do you really live the spiritual life in Christ? How do you do that? He's going to answer it. It's probably the most extensive, comprehensive explanation of how to live the Christian life we've got in the New Testament. Right there. We're going to launch it, and I, try, I pray that it helps all of us uh, move into this sense of the, he's going to tell the fruit of the Spirit should be the normal Christian life. Why aren't we in there? Why don't we see it manifest? Well, we've got to read chapters 1 to 4. But as soon as he, as soon as he starts in chapter 5, It's life-changing. It really is. Um, so here's the irony. <laughs> With these readers, as he comes to the end of chapter 4, they were uh, standing firm. We've got to keep the law. We've got to keep the law to be approved by God. All right. Are you listening to the law? You're relying on... I, I think... Paul, Pastor Paul, masterfully uses the biblical story of Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar, their sons, Ishmael and Isaac, to illustrate for his readers the difference between relying on God's promise and their own efforts. Relying on God's promise always results in freedom. Relying on our efforts 
will, and will end up in spiritual slavery. Because we're never going to do enough, ever, in this life. It's a hopeless chain of slavery. Christ has freed us from that. Why? So we can now live as servants of God. I'm wondering, is he happy with me? Yes, he's happy with you. I'll have a lot more to say. But look, uh, Paul's point is, even God's law shows us that our works aren't enough to cover our shame. They're not. They only lead us to more slavery. Faith in God's promise in Christ, not our works, is how we inherit God's blessing. It's always been that way, and it's that way in the gospel. Here's what God said. If you believe in Jesus the Messiah, he will save you. He will justify you. You will have an entrance into heaven based on his work, not yours. That's the promise. Now, we're either going to believe that, or we're going to you know, cover, hedge our bets and continue to work things out ourselves. We're pretty good. Live morally. Well, if you've never trusted in Christ, that promise of the gospel to make you acceptable to God and give you eternal life through no merit of your own, I invite you to believe in him today. All who believe in Jesus, the scripture tells us, are forgiven They're justified before God. They're under no condemnation. They're new creatures, as far as God's concerned. And heirs and sons and daughters. Let Jesus deliver you from shame or whatever else you feel in bondage to. Free you from the endless cycle of self-justification. You know, it's, it's a work that has to be done, in my opinion, in my experience every day. We just have this natural bent to, to, to retreat back into these self-justifying behaviors and uh, seeking to feel good about uh, others' approval or getting this or that and thinking that's equated with God's approval. It's not. So, let's close in prayer and we'll pray for each other as we continue to walk in the truths of the gospel. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for a beautiful spring we can enjoy. Thank you for the fellowship we share in the spirit of God as believers in Jesus. Pray that if there's anyone here that does not know him, that you just open their eyes, allow them to see what you did at the cross and how then you raised Jesus from the dead so we could be justified. You approved of what Jesus did on our behalf. Help us to cling to that and find great joy in that, that now we're free, free to serve you without condemnation, without shame, without guilt, and to to enjoy your blessings in our life right now. We ask for the grace to do all that in Jesus' name. Amen.